everybody. It's Monday, November 8th, and that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia Nonprofit Conversations. I'm one of your hosts, Cecilia Sapp. I am the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Nonprofit Consulting, and my co-host and friend, Agnes Amos Coleman, is here with me today. I'm going to throw it over to Agnes to say hello. Thank you, Cecilia. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience, wherever you're joining us from. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm a consultant and an author. Over to you, Cecilia. Great. Thank you, Agnes. And we're really pleased today because we were able to book Sharon Kneebone, who is currently the executive director at the National Society of Histotechnology. And she's here today to talk with us about how chief staff executive builds board relationships. Welcome to Chatting. Sharon, would you like to say hello and tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here with you and with Agnes. So as Cecilia said, I'm the Chief Staff Executive for the National Society for Histotechnology. I have worked with over 65 boards of directors in different capacities in an AMC and managed services within an association and a standalone. So board work and good governance is a passion of mine. Oh, that's great. So we're really glad to have you here, Sharon, because uh, you and I have known each other for a while. And I do know about your strong background working with boards. So you've been at NSH for, if I remember correctly, four years, six and a half years. What? It's been that long. Right? Gosh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Because I remember we were both looking at the same time. Gosh, we were. were. Gosh, wow. Okay. That was six years ago. So mm-hmm. When you first came into NS, NS, the NS, NSH, uh, and you were starting to get to know the board, what are some of the things that you look at, you start asking questions about, or you start assessing when you come in to work with a new board? So the first thing that I want to do is understand who the influencers are on the board. And you probably know, I've talked about this before. I use DISC as a temperament model to help me get a read on who's who. So you may have a president, but that may not be the influencer or the power broker, as I like to say, on the board and really understand um, whether they're a D, a driver, get it done you know, C, who is get things right, and S, I want everybody to be happy, and I, I just want to be along for the party. So, Mm -hmm. and then there's combinations of two. So most people have two dominant traits. So that's one of the things that I look at. The other thing that I look at, and I talk about this a little bit in my book in the Professional Practices and Association Management, not my book, my chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, but is the culture and using policy. So culture plays a huge role in associations and you've got layers of culture. So you have the board culture. And in our case, we had a house of delegates culture. Then we had a staff culture. Then we had a um, volunteer leader culture and none of them were healthy. Um, It was no surprise. And that's because when I was going through the recruitment process, they asked me numerous times in different ways, how do you deal with difficult people? And I'm like, huh, we've got someone who is driving the board nuts. Um, And so what I responded with, and I'll still say this to this day, is through evaluation, education, and empathy. So really trying to understand the board, the individuals that make up the committee of the whole, And then trying to figure out who's playing what role, regardless of what their elected title is. And that's where I typically start. 
You know, this this is fascinating. And I honestly, I couldn't just wait to, to ask this questions because I wanted to just, you know, get a sense of the success that you've made in this aerial board relationship. So what would you say that, you know, training, what role would you say training plays in uh, in this process? Because obviously you've got the board, they're working the way that they should. How do you, um, how do you build them or how do you enhance their quality and their professionalism through training? So training to me is everything. It's, you know, you think about it in terms of board development. You don't, you don't know for certain what they've had or have not had when you come on board as the new chief staff executive. And what I found is this particular board had never gone through any formal training and I am their first trained executive director. So the, the education piece was critical and you have to balance that though with the culture because if you get out too far too quickly, it looks like you're a bull in the china closet and you're just gonna take over and change things for the sake of change. So where we started was with our attorney. I had a lot of very difficult things I was dealing with, um, legal issues, you name it, it was going on. So I had our attorney come in for before our first meeting and we did training, fiduciary responsibility training. Um, mm -hmm. I'd had some insight because one of my staff members who's still with me said, you know, your predecessor brought in people to train them, but nobody believed them. They, they, they knew better than the expert. So I had a conversation with our, with our attorney and I said, we need to do this in such a way that it's participatory. So we framed fiduciary responsibility training in the form of scenarios and, and layering those scenarios in terms of conflict of interest, apparent authority, because they'd asked for business cards with their names. So I'm like, okay, Houston, we have a problem. I am happy to say that the training resulted in not one leader left with those business cards they had me print for them. So that was, that was definitely a win. And then it's not just the education, Agnes, because you hit the nail on the head. I also say part of my job title is gardener, and that's planting seeds, but you have to tend a garden, nurturing it, feeding it, weeding it, um, and really picking the right times to have the lessons delivered. And I highly recommend bringing in outside expertise because you don't wanna put yourself between you and a leader and let the leaders be out front, but let the expert come in and share sometimes, which may be a difficult lesson, or it may be a lesson that's contrary to, well, that's the way we've always done it. And it's like parents, right? We can't pick our parents. So they don't know what they don't know. And so we need to address that with empathy once we understand the education that they need. Great insight, Sharon, great insight. Thank you. Cecilia, is it okay if I just ask one more question? Of course. You? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wanted to just follow the trend and not lose my thought, you know, train of thought here. I'm interested in the leadership component. Can you share with me uh, your relationship with the leadership of the board? Because I'm assuming that you work with the, the president of the board uh, and, and that's how the relationship works. Or is it, is it different in, in your composition and in, in your board composition? So it's evolving. When I started out, I was meeting with the president on a weekly basis. We were in crisis management mode, which required a high degree of communication. Um, I now meet with the president twice a month, 
and we've changed our governance structure. So that was one of the changes we needed to implement. And we now have a president elect, president and immediate past. Mm -hmm. um, our culture within um, histotechnology is that we will, they really want the member and the leader to be at the member leader to be out front. And so when the, the president who is working very closely with the executive director, they start to say, well, Sharon's not responsible for running this organization. Sharon's not in charge. So mm -hmm. in, they create a power struggle that doesn't really exist because of perception and perception becomes reality. Mm -hmm. So we created an informal office of the president so that I could have more of a brain trust. And there's a couple of reasons for this. In the past, in the job description of the vice president, they were responsible for the strategy. Well, that's mm -hmm. really the president and the executive director's job from different sides of the coin. So we created this office of the president and I now have a brain trust. What that does, it has three of the leaders, this, this team who are, collaborating with their partner, the executive director. But it's not just about the presidents, it's about the rest of the board. And last year I reinstituted doing listening tour and last year's listening tour focused on what would you like for the ideal board experience? And then I used that mm -hmm. to write a white paper for the board. And that is our entree onto diversity, equity, inclusion conversations because they're not there yet. So if we can create a welcoming environment for the board, that's a good stepping stone for us to have these conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. That's great. Thank you. You have really moved a lot of culture change at your organization. And I remember when you first started there, you and I chatted a few times about uh, some of the challenges you had to face. You mentioned something about dealing with a difficult person on the board. So I think we would all love to hear what your advice is about dealing with people in that kind of a situation. The first is just to acknowledge that they're difficult um, mm. and just not internalize. It's easier said than done. We're all human, right? And there are days where I internalize it. Like, what did I ever do to this guy? <laughs> all I'm trying to do is clean up a mess I inherited. Um, but he, he, he was a bully. He was a flat out bully and he would not let the board progress. Mm. So in this circumstance, this board member was bringing up past deeds from the previous executive director and focusing very much on process because that was a governance issue. That's a separate talking <laughs> conversation, right. Right. but is to not feed into it. So I would answer his question and say, you know, I understand that you're frustrated about previous executive director, but the reality is she's no longer here. This is no longer something that we're working on. What can we do to move forward? And then having conversations with the leadership about what is acceptable boardsmanship and how mm. do we treat each other. And it took a lot of work. And I have to give a lot of credit to the immediate past president because she picked at that first board meeting an exercise for us to talk about ourselves. And it was very smart because she humanized everyone. And when you humanize someone, it makes it very difficult to come at them in a negative way. Mm -hmm. What ultimately happened with him is the education, going back to Agnes's question, is educating on fiduciary responsibility because he was feeding member information 
um, sensitive information outside of the board. Mm -hmm. And he finally realized the fiduciary responsibility. He was caught between a rock and a hard place. He was being used as a mouthpiece for the dissenters at the time. On Mm -hmm. the one hand, on the other hand, he put himself in legal peril the more he decided to try and be um, the hero. He thought he was doing the right thing. So his Mm -hmm. motivation was there, but how he went about it was really disruptive. So I just, I did not, that this is my personality. So this is what worked for me. It was not to allow him to bully me and maintain a professional demeanor at all times. That is great advice. Cause I agree with you. It is so difficult. First of all, to hold your tongue which you have to do and to hold your temper, which you also have to do because those are two things that make you successful as a leader. So you've talked about all the hard work you've done. You've got the buy-in. It sounds like uh, you were able to open a door for this board. It sounds like they wanted to move forward. So let's move to where you are now. Like what are some of these uh, benefits you've gotten out of of remaking the systems and bringing more people involved and in revising the board relationships. It's interesting. When I met with our president last week, we had a conversation about the job here and um, some different things that we need to do between my relationship and the board, all positive. But, and I mentioned how much I love working at NSH and Cecilia, you were one of the people that was on my short dial list when I was first starting and to talk me off the ledge from losing my temper. So it, what she said, it's true. She goes, you're creating a job for you. You are shaping and you are creating an environment that you want to work in. And this is true. Um, I'm lucky to have fostered a team of colleagues that I adore and who are smarter at me at what they do, you know, so that way we're the upside in hiring for expertise is great, but then when you lose someone, there's a big hole, you know, Mm -hmm. it's give and take. The upside is that, you know, I work from home, that working from home was not the goal, it was an outcome of cutting expenses. But it's a really nice and collaborative work environment. And I love the board members as individuals. They have become much more adept at looking forward and keeping their eyes on the horizon. And they'll catch themselves, oh, wait a minute, that's operations, that's Sharon's job. We need to be thinking about the what and not the how. They do slide back because of what they do for a living as as Mm -hmm. laboratory people, but it's so wonderful to watch them grow and they're so smart. Mm-hmm. So smart. That's great. That's wonderful. I, I know, Sharon, it's interesting. And thank you again. We've got to have you back in 2022 to share more insights <laughs> and advice. I'm just fascinated with all of this. Would you say now that things are where they need to be? Is there a process in place for evaluating their successes in some of the opportunities or areas of improvement? Or do you just... Um, the term just ends and you just let them go with the term or do you have a mechanism in place where you measure where they are and where they really need to be before the term comes to an end? I don't know as though we measure the board per se. We do an annual self-evaluation, which we just completed. We identify a subset, a mini work group, if you will, of the board to work with me on it and to get their perspective on what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I'm very pleased to say out of the three years that we've been asking the same questions for longitudinal data, we saw an increase in every aspect 
of the report. So that was very good. Mm. We, ha- we have a board retreat this week because we need to do more work on our strategy. So we have a lot more work to do. We've completed governance reform 1.0 and we're starting on governance reform 2.0, which would be local governance. And we have a lot of work to do. Um, in terms of evaluation, right now we just added Asana so that I have another tool for a project, a visual project management tool. Mm-hmm. And the intent for me is to put the data in such a way that I can do a dashboard within Asana and get a quick view of what's going on in terms of um, progress against objectives. And I just met with my membership manager and our AMS has the opportunity to put in dashboards. So rather than her pulling data each month, which is very time consuming, why don't we just set up the reports, even if we have to pay for SQL to have it done. So she takes a screenshot of it and I have her spending time on analysis as opposed to administrative work and pulling numbers and then being too tired at the end of pulling numbers to really do a deep dive. So that for us, Agnes, it's a work in progress mm-hmm. and it's a really insightful question, but we're finally coming to the point where we're going to be setting up a very visual way to look at how we're doing against our progress. But we've done a lot, we've got a lot more to do. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I recall when you first got there, uh, you realized they really did need uh, a lot of help and a lot of nurturing. And I think every organization that wants to remain successful continues doing what you just said you're doing, which is we're continuing to review, we're continuing to benchmark, we're continuing to move forward. And I think that's an excellent example for all of us to follow. Absolutely. So, but- yeah. uh, can you believe we're at the end of our episode already? <laughs> no, it flew by. They go quick. They go quick. So, uh, so Sharon, we like to ask our guests, what's the one thought you'd like the audience to take away uh, from this conversation? And if they'd like to follow up with you directly about your approach to board relations, how can they get in touch with you? I think the one thought to take away is don't forget that your leaders and your board members are people. They're human. Mm -hmm. They come with pros. They come with cons. They come with strengths. They come with blind spots. So assume positive intent and it will make your job much easier as an executive director than if you're trying to figure out what's their ulterior motive. So they're human. Let them shine. They're They're doing their job because they care. Um, If you'd like to get in touch with me, the best way is just connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Sharon Hygis Kneebone. um, And just put a note in there that you saw me on chatting with Cecilia and Agnes, and I'll be happy to connect with you. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you again, Sharon, everyone. Sharon Kneebone, Executive Director at NSH. uh, And we look forward to having you back next year. Uh, Agnes is our guest management leader, so you're talking to the right person. Uh, So... We have to go rogue for now, but thanks for joining us. We'll be back next time with another exciting conversation about nonprofits. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Tulips, uh, check us out online at roguetulips.com. We also encourage you to check out our sister company, the 501C League, a leader in CAE education and development. You can learn more about the league at 501cleague.net. And if you're looking for that ethics requirement for renewal, we offer a course. So until next time, on behalf of myself, Agnes and Sharon, thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.